0: I remember looking at the Bay Bridge from my window, and I was like really sick, burnt out, you know, whatever they call it, adrenal fatigue, all the works. Like I went to some doctor who worked with me later on it, and I didn't have the strength to walk over the Bay Bridge and throw myself off, otherwise I would have. And I think it was the next night or the night after that I remember getting up, and I was like, I was miserable. I was like, I can't do this. I got to get out of this. I mean, again, I get out of this or die trying. That's it. I can't be in this space. And... I walked over to my desk and I have a journal that I write in and in there and I still don't know where I came from. I sat down and I wrote a vow to myself. Now I do believe in the power of personal commitment. Like if I make a commitment to myself, I'm going to keep it. That's something I've had for a while. Um, something I've trained myself for a while, but a vow, I've never written a vow to myself. I don't even know where that word came from. And then it was a vow to love myself. It came in the moment. I am not a guy who was thinking about, hey, you know what I need? You know what I really need? I think I need to love myself. That never occurred to me once. But yet in that moment, that's what came out. If you're ever in a place where you just need to get out of it, make a vow to yourself, write it down, put it somewhere where you can see it every day, be reminded of your promise to yourself, and then do your best to live it. You'll fail horribly every day, but you'll get better and better. Do your best to live it every day. It's really that simple, that
1: power of that personal commitment to yourself. That's Kamal Ravikant and this is the Rich Roll podcast. The Rich Roll podcast. Greeting seekers, hello and welcome to my podcast frequency. I'm Rich Roll. Good to be with you today. I hope that you are maintaining your health, your sanity your immunity, your equanimity, as our chaotic world is spinning off its axis. All good here. Can I read an email? I'm gonna read an email. This one is from Dr. Heidi O'Connor, and it goes like this. I'm sending you this note after completing a seven-day stretch covering the ICU as a pulmonary critical care doctor in Boston, Massachusetts. Wow, how about that? Several years ago, I somehow stumbled upon your book, Finding Ultra, I had been a three-sport athlete in high school and then continued playing two sports in college. I kept up with running during med school and was able to complete a marathon, but really used running as a way for managing stress. Unfortunately, working long hours during my subsequent medical training and when I became an attending physician led to reduced exercise, poor diet, and worsening stress over the years. I became increasingly unhappy and burned out with work and felt truly unhealthy. I read your book and it inspired me to make a change. I became predominantly plant-based and gave up eating meat. I'm a diehard New Englander, so haven't been able to give up occasional Cape Cod seafood or Vermont cheese yet. Oh, Heidi, we'll work on that. Don't worry. I bought a Peloton, which has been a saving grace. I've gotten into hiking and took up meditation. I even got back to running from time to time. I've been able to lose the 20 pounds that I crept on over the years and actually feel I'm in as good a shape as I was in my 20s. The reason why I felt compelled to write you is that I think you have had a major impact on my life, getting me in the best shape I could be in to help take care of my patients and myself during this COVID pandemic. It's been some of the most emotionally heart-wrenching times I have experienced taking care of patients, trying to support their families and my ICU staff, and also very physically demanding. I haven't been able to do another marathon or any other great athletic feat yet, but in some ways, I think getting through the terrible times we are experiencing is my marathon. Thanks again for all your inspiring, thought-provoking and humorous podcast to keep me company. On my drive in and home from work, you are helping more people than you know. Take care, Heidi. Wow. Heidi, thank you for the kind words, but mostly thank you for your selfless service on the front lines. I I, I can't imagine what you're currently enduring right now. And please set aside any kind of self-flogging that you're doing over not being able to take care of yourself physically in this incredibly stressful moment. I'm sure we're gonna get through this. And I'm also sure that what you are currently enduring dwarfs running a marathon. And I have no doubt that you will succeed in whatever you put your mind to, whether it's a marathon or anything else. So thank you again for sharing that story. Speaking of metamorphosis, I've got nothing but love for stories of personal transformation. And that is perhaps the heart, the most predominant theme of this show. The underdog, the every man meets unforeseen obstacles. The odds are stacked against him or her. That person is brought to his or her knees compelled to seek deep within and rather than buckle or perish, ultimately leverages that experience to evolve, to evolve into something stronger, something more deeply self-actualized and authentic. We call it the hero's journey. And it's this irresistible archetypal narrative that speaks to, that connects with the mystical embedded deep within all of us. There's just something indelible and powerful and universal about these stories. And over the years, I've had the good fortune of hosting many flavors of this hero's journey from Olympic medalists and Arctic explorers to professional dirt bags, all sharing their version of the hero's journey, their story of physical triumph. But here's the thing, life's greatest journey isn't physical, it's not, free soloing El Capitan or crossing Antarctica or running ultra marathons in Patagonia. Ironically, it's learning how to love ourselves. And nobody embodies this specific genus of the hero's journey better than my new friend, Kamal Ravakant. Now, to be clear, Kamal has more than earned his spot as a respected adventurer. He's a guy who was brought up from humble beginnings and has gone on to trek to one of the highest base camps in the Himalayas. He earned his US Army infantry patch. He walked 550 miles across Spain and meditated with Tibetan monks in the Dalai Lama's monastery. And professionally, this guy's done it all too. From launching successful startups to managing venture capital funds, Kamala spent the better part of his career working alongside some of the smartest investors and engineers in Silicon Valley, all while writing books in his free time. But his most transformative experience, he would say, has been the simple act of learning how to love himself. So why is this so hard for us? I got a bunch more I wanna say about that and Kamal, but first, you know what time it is. Hey everybody, like me, Inside Tracker wants to help you start the new year right. So they're thrilled to help support the Living Proof Challenge, the no-cost science-based habit building program designed by my well-being wizard brother Simon Hill to specifically up-level the most important biomarkers that drive healthspan that drive disease prevention, physical fitness and mental well-being courtesy of a doable, evidence-based 12-week program elaborated upon in length in my conversation with Simon that dropped January 1. That's RRP804. If you listened to that episode, then you know the program entails comprehensive blood testing at both the commencement and conclusion of the challenge and nobody handles blood testing better than Inside Tracker who are graciously encouraging everyone to join the no-cost challenge by offering a 25% off discount on inside tracker tests. To unlock the discount and learn more about this challenge, visit theproof.com slash livingproof. We're brought to you today by Birch. If you're serious about optimizing your sleep, listen up. And the craftsmanship is just next level. I've got one in every room of my house. I love it, pretty sure you will too. And right now, Birch is giving 20% off all mattresses and two free eco rest pillows at birchliving.com slash richroll. That's 20% off and two free eco rest pillows. Sleep better with Birch. Meditation has been a recurring theme on this podcast, dating back to its beginnings and in conversation always leads people to asking me about the best way to begin. There are no shortage of modalities, of resources and apps available. I have experience with many of them, but my mainstay, I have to say, the one that I have found most useful is waking up. It's this unique treasure trove of wisdom that has become so important to my daily routine that the app finds itself right in the dock of my phone for immediate fingertip access. Beyond its robust catalog of daily meditations, it's also this extraordinary library of mindfulness resources that go well beyond the strictures of meditation with courses on stoicism, cognitive behavioral therapy, time management, procrastination, as well as thoughtful conversations with leading scholars on everything from psychedelics to happiness. It really is one of the most worthy investments you can make in yourself. And listeners of the show can get 30 days to try Waking Up for free. Plus, you'll save $30 on the in-app price. If price is a concern, Waking Up offers the app for free, astonishingly for anyone who can't afford it. You can find the links on their website to get a full scholarship right now. Just go to wakingup.com richroll to start your free month today. That's wakingup.com richroll. Okay, so I first heard about Kamal by way of his frequent appearances on our mutual and beloved friend, James Altucher's podcast. And I can't quite put my finger on it, but there was just something really compelling about this guy that left me wanting to know more about him. So I got a hold of his book, Love Yourself Like Your Life Depends On It. And here's the thing, I'm all about spiritual and emotional growth, but I also have a pretty deep, profound aversion to schlocky self-help. And despite my many fears, my insecurities, my uh, profound imposter syndrome, my people-pleasing tendencies, I actually never thought I had much of an issue with self-love. So I freely admit to a little bit of initial skepticism about this book, but I have to say that it really ignited something in me. It's simple, It's very straightforward, but also profound in its simplicity, I suppose. And it's led me to this realization that I actually still harbor a lot of unhealed wounds. And it sets forth all these practices that I found not just helpful, but actually transformative in many ways. So today we unpack the hero's journey of Kamal Ravikant. It's a conversation about his trials and his triumphs his divine moment, the path of self-discovery that followed, and the near-death experience that he recently survived. It's about how he learned to love himself, the simple routine he deploys to maintain it, and why this practice is essential to living an examined, self-actualized life of presence and purpose and contentment. For the Stoics and the skeptics out there who are listening, I implore you to set aside whatever creeping resistance you may be feeling right now and really give this one a shot with an open mind and an open heart. Final note, this was recorded pre-pandemic, so there is no mention of coronavirus, but nonetheless, it's a conversation packed with timeless wisdom that I think you're gonna find very helpful in this unique moment. Kamal's vulnerability is refreshing. I love this conversation. I'm enjoying my newfound friendship with him. And I really hope that this serves you. So this is me and Kamal Ravakant. Yeah, I've been very, very grateful with Harper
0: One. they just, they're, they're really, and look, they published my favorite book of all time, The Alchemist. Yeah, <laughs> there you go. <laughs> you know, so like to walk in the office, see that poster, uh-huh. then one day like my poster is gonna be by it, you know, like it's it's pretty special. It's
1: a crazy thing when you go to the publishing offices and you see the cover of your book or you see it like on the wall with these other authors that you revere yeah. and have read over the years. Yeah. Like there's something really magical and special about that.
0: It really is. I mean, just walking in the public, like when I was going to the, you know, like, cause I've written other books as well, like a uh-huh. novel and so forth, and going with my agent to Simon & Schuster, Random House, HarperCollins, all these. Like, these are, I grew up reading and you know, knowing these names. and so to be there, and there's just offices full of nothing but books. Right. It's beautiful. And as a writer to be there, you know, it's uh,
1: it's what you dream of. Yeah. Right. It's cool also because. Um, You went from this self-publishing phenomenon into traditional publishing rather than the other way around. Like a lot of people, they'll do their initial books in a traditional manner. And then when they develop an audience, then they'll self-publish. But for you to have this kind of viral phenomenon um, almost eight years ago, right? Yeah. With with a, a, a sort of truncated limited version of the book. And then to develop it with a traditional publisher is is interesting.
0: Yeah, it's not something I planned on. You know, like when I did the original version, it was tiny, right? I mean, but I edited it in X. I cut out 90% what I wrote, right? Uh-huh. And I put it out and I didn't think I was, and I've said this enough, you know, like I really didn't think I was gonna sell any copies. I, like I was an unknown writer, you know, I was just a Silicon Valley guy, Put a book called Love Yourself Like Your Life Depends On It. Like, look, I failed, but look, I learned to love myself, so life's great. Yeah. And, and it it took off. The thing
1: took off. Insanely changed my life. Like showed me just the power of my words. Well, let's back it up a little bit because it kind of began with our mutual friend James Altucher, who's Love actually James. coming here tomorrow. <laughs> tomorrow, <right>? you know, <laughs> and you saw him this morning. And it's so bizarre. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And um,
0: I promised to him that I would actually write write it. And if he uh, and if he uh, liked it, I would publish it. Otherwise, I never would have. Mm-hmm.
1: Was, but didn't it begin like you, you had, as you say in the book, like you gave, um, you got up on stage at a conference and had kind of an epiphany and made this decision to share openly and honestly about what was really going on with you in front of a, yeah. a, you know, a group of CEOs and the like. Senators, Congress people, on officials and CEOs and media
0: types. And I was given two minutes to talk, give a talk call if I could do anything. And other people were doing this talk too. And I had to, you know, I had a talk prepared and I, and I got up and i like, right before I got, I'm like, this doesn't feel right. This doesn't feel right. And I got up, I'm like, I know what I'm gonna do. I'm gonna share, just share with them what changed my life this, this uh-huh. past summer or fall. And for two minutes, I just rambled about how I changed my life. I learned to love myself. How it saved, saved me, changed my life. How, you know, like literally transforms everything. And I got off the stage thinking, okay, dude, that was, that, was, that was insane. What did you just do? Like I was trying not to look at the faces of the people. Uh-huh. I wasn't used to giving talks then. And there was a line of people going to talk to me afterwards. It was insane. Like people like, this is why I came to this conference to hear you like
1: say this. Was it just that they found the vulnerability refreshing or what do you think it was specifically that connected?
0: I'm guessing I was probably the only one who spoke that open at that conference uh-huh.
1: first, but um,
0: one. But I think it was something about just a reminder, you know, like sometimes a reminder. And I shared with them, like, look, this was this turned out to be a very. We we all know we've all been told love yourself, right? In fact, it's kind of annoying and cliche, right? What I told them was like, look, I was a bottom, and I figured out a practical way to do it for myself, you know, because I needed it. You know, it was the one thing that I felt something inside me said, this is going to save you. And I just went with it I figured out in a very practical, you know, I'm a Silicon Valley guy. So it's like a very practical, methodical way that just, that ended up working for me. And so it's like, I got the secret. It's not like, Hey, love yourself. Here's love yourself. Step one, two, three, four, five, bingo. You'll love yourself. You know? So I think I shared briefly, quickly the steps and then they all wanted to know more and like how to do them. Uh-huh. And so that's when there was a line afterwards. And then when I would share with friends how to do it, there would be like all these questions. So which is why I originally wrote the thing down to just, okay, I'm just gonna give out copies to people. Right. Right. Because um, wasn't know,
1: it, was it, uh, you got a you got an email that you forwarded to James and James was like, this, you should write a blog post. I'll post it on my site. And you were like, there's no way I'm doing no that.
0: No way, man. No way. I'd send an email to a friend who's going through a hard time just describing mm-hmm. uh, briefly. Oh, the,
1: the, the app, the, like the, practical yeah. you know, aspect of how- And it really us. helped
0: him. And James was like, oh, I'm gonna publish this on my blog. And this is before he had his podcast, right? Yeah. I'm like, <laughs> I was like, no way, all my friends read this. I'm terrified. <laughs> like I, but he's like, he was really, he's responsible for this happening because he's like, look, this, you could write about entrepreneurship, you could write about fitness, all these things, plenty of people can, but this, the most important thing,
1: mm-hmm. you're
0: writing about it, you're showing no way that no one else is. You gotta put this out there.
1: He's usually right about those things. Yeah. And I think he's been proven uh, uh, historically correct in this case. But his sweet spot, I mean, he's basically created an entire career about you know, around having the courage to share your, you know, your failures and your, your vulnerabilities. And he obviously identified something special in, in your story. And that kind of dovetailed you know, right into the sweet spot of the kind of things that he likes to share about.
0: Yeah, and, um, you know, I still didn't think I was gonna do it. So I was like, tell you what, you know, I've been I've been training myself to be a literary fiction writer for like over a decade when I was building startups, right? I wanted to write literary novels, you know, like I was just studying like crazy. I was like, well, let me write this down as a little practical, almost like a primer of mm-hmm. something. And and I don't know where, like, where, how we decided that if he liked it, I would self-publish it. At that time, you know, Kindle was out and like, you know, there were like all these success stories happening there. And I did it. It took me a month and I sent it to him and I didn't hear from him a few weeks. And I was like, oh, thank God he hates it. I can move on, like blah, blah, blah. Because he he's like, I love it. I'm going to write a blog post about you publishing it, but this day. So that means I had to publish it by that right. day. And so <laughs> and so. I I remember when I, um, a friend of mine reached out to me, she's like, Come on, do you remember how terrified you were when you pressed submit on, on, on Kindle? Like, I I think I was calling people. I was like, I don't want to do this. I don't want to do this. Uh-huh. I don't want to do this.
1: Best thing I ever did was click that button. Yeah. You know? And and it was a very short, kind of truncated version of what, you know, ultimately you've recently published, right? Well, just kind the, of like a practical manual. It was more of a primer. Here's
0: because I was scared. I didn't know what to expect. It was just like a little thing I was going to give out uh, to people, to friends, right? Uh, who I knew needed it. Because, like, you understand this when you find something that works, that makes you better. You kind, of, you kind of feel a responsibility to share it. You know, you really do like if that changed my life. Uh-huh. And so you, when you, and especially when it's yours, when you come up with it, you're like, I gotta share this cause I'm not, you see the good impact it has on you. And then you see other people struggling. You're like, wait, I think I have a solution here. Yeah, You know, at least try it. It worked for one human being. It's on the human mind, the human heart. You have a human mind, human heart, try it out. Right. You know, it's a very basic thing. Um, But when I put it out, I held back a lot, you know, because I was scared. I wasn't expecting it to, I didn't want to share all my stories or whatever. But this exists actually not because of me, this exists because of readers. So I did something I didn't I was expecting to sell a lot of copies. So I put my email address in the book. I was like, hey, if you got questions, email me. And guess what? (laughs) People emailed. I have God knows how many emails. You know, a lot of wonderful, beautiful emails saying how it changed people's lives, saved Mm -hmm. their literally saved their lives. You know, I've like in the moment of reading the book, they decided to not kill themselves, I have many of those. Uh, and then just like how, you know, changing their lives, uh, any of the confidence, self-esteem, all this, it all arises from the same thing, you know? Yeah. And, but there were questions. And after six, seven years, there's a whole, you know, cause I read all the emails or respond to them is there's a pattern, you know, there's themes. And I was like, look, I held back and I realized I need to put this book out. If I'm gonna have it out, I need to have it out in a real way. I need to, I need those questions resolved. I know why those questions are coming up is because I held mm-hmm. back. So mm-hmm. I gotta stop holding back. Yeah. And uh, so that's what I set out to do.
1: And that's why it took seven years. Yeah. 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 To what do you attribute the virality of the original self-published version? I mean, you sold like half a million copies, right? Yeah. It's crazy. Did it start with James's blog or like how did the word get out? Yeah, it started
0: with James's blog. Then uh, people got on their own and started tweeting it, Facebooking it. Uh, It was all over Facebook. People were just sharing on Mm -hmm. Facebook. Um, uh, Tim Ferriss tweeted about it, that it got him out of a funk. Uh, so there were all these people like trying to do it. But here's the interesting thing. You know, I've, I've built companies in Silicon Valley. I know the online game very well. Like if you, if you get an app, if like if you look at an app, someone to invest in someone's app, right? You look at the data. Now you can game metrics. You can buy downloads. You can game even book numbers. You can buy your yeah. own books and all that, right? But with this, what happened was it, it was just, it came out, it's hovering like this, it shot up came in a little bit, and then just stayed for seven years like that. Mm. Just up there consistently. That is when you know you have something special. Yeah. When a product does that, whatever it is. It, yeah. it hits something. You know what it was? It was, I'm not a self-help. It's a self-help book written by a guy who's not a self-help guy. It's just a guy who works on himself, mm-hmm. who's lived a bit, you know, who shares his personal journey exa- and exactly how he did it.
1: And it's very easy to read, easy to digest. It's very plain spoken, on
0: purpose. Yeah, yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. yeah. Well, I want to I want to work our way up to um, getting into the the nuts and bolts of the book, but let's you know take it back a little bit because I want to better understand what got you to this point, um, and and to kind of contextualize the whole thing. So you grow up in Queens, Jamaica, single Queens, mom,
0: where uh, rap. Yeah. Jamaica Queens, where rap came from. Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah. from there.
1: Um, and 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 my sense is that you were always like your own person. Like, you yeah, know what I, I mean? was a like, pain in the ass. Not not an easy person to control or corral. Yeah, you had a mind of your own. Yeah, I was always a pain
0: in the ass that way.
1: Uh huh. Um, School came easy.
0: It did. It was boring. Um, I never felt like I fit in anywhere. You know, I never like I was a shy kid. I just read like crazy. You know, like uh, I read a lot. Books were my refuge as a child. We went through some really rough stuff. Like really, uh, at one point we were homeless. You know, had an abusive mm. dad. There's like you want to start listing things we went through them, and it was rough. And books were my refuge. That's what I escaped to. And um, which if you think is amazing, and now I write books, right? Yeah. Uh, but yeah, that was the childhood. Um, but I always try, I've always, i always done my own thing. Like even I went to college, had a full scholarship and after
1: a year i left it and joined the army. I know, that's <laughs> such a strange choice. Like, you know, walk me through that decision tree.
0: Uh, step one, I'm 18. Uh, step two, I'm in college for a year. It's a state school and you can get straight A's without really going to classes, just partying. I'm bored out of my mind, I want a challenge. Third is step three, I'm an immigrant child. I want to serve this country. Um, You feel that, you know. Uh, People often forget that about the immigrant story, just how much, how grateful you feel to this country, you know, for being a part of it. And, um, And I wanted to be challenged and I wanted to just, so all that put that together, and just mm-hmm. walking by recruiters' office one day, they decided to pop in, and they had a good, good sales pitch. <laughs>
1: Effective marketing, it works, man. Wow. They, they So you went one by one: Marines, Navy, all of Army, them, right? Air Force, all of them. And at that so time, what was what was it that put uh, the Army over the top? Yeah,
0: you? that's a great question, right? That's a great question because they offered the most money for college after. Ah because I still knew I wanted to get my education. It was uh-huh. very important to me, but I knew I didn't want to go to a state school. I wanted to go to a smaller private school and to be able to afford that, also Army would give me more money. Um, yeah. And because they also, not only did they offer more money, they said, okay, I'll well, tell you what, you know, they give you this test called the ASWAB, which is, um, decides what specialty you can choose. I got 98th and 99th percentile, so I could choose anything. They're like, but if you choose the one that people who fail take it, we'll give you more money, which, yeah. is, which is infantry, you're a cannon fodder. I was like, sweet. Uh, but on top of that, if you take a harder one, mountain infantry will give you even
1: more. I was like, sweet. <laughs> like, Just signed up for the, <laughs> the hardest thing with the most financial upside. But you know, it was great.
0: <laughs> it's like the way I look at it, if you're gonna do something, you know, do uh-huh. the, do the do that yeah. all-in version. Well, I don't wanna drive a truck.
1: Another part of the immigrant story, you know, I presume that, you know, on some level your parents immigrated here to, you know, try to, Try to create a better life or a different kind of life than, you know, wh- what was being experienced in in India. So, you know, what's the phone call, you know, back to mom like when you tell her? You
0: You know, it's actually interesting if you think
1: about it. The life in in
0: India they had was like middle cla- upper middle class. But there's something about the pull of America that draws people to it because it is there's something special about it. That so it wasn't like escaping from poverty or anything like that. You know, there is a, there is a draw to this country, to the to freedom, to be able to do anything, go anywhere. I think that that is also mm-hmm. part of that immigrant story. Although we didn't have that when we came here. You know, it was pretty, um, quite the opposite in the beginning. Um, the phone call to mom was a very interesting one from college. Mom, I'm thinking about joining the army. Pause. Okay, think carefully. A week later, mom, I joined the army. <laughs>
1: that, was <it. laughs> that was it. And and her reaction? Silence. Or silence. That was it. Silence. Uh huh. I mean, I was at the age where she couldn't do anything. Yeah, and she knew me. You know, you had already established a pattern of doing your own thing. Yeah, and and she yeah. had a healthy dose of like, I can't control this kid anyway. So and she was like, "This, well this might be good for." It. With this, she was like, yeah. actually. I remember she told a me a she little, little discipline. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So, boot camp, then, right? Boot camp, Fort Benning,
0: Georgia, in the middle of the summer. uh-huh. Um, it was it was um, I look back at that as actually like a, one of the defining experiences of my life, and I'm so glad I gave myself that gift as an eighteen year old. You know, I wasn't thinking of it that way, that back mm-hmm. then, cause, look, you know if you look at any tribal society, any primitive society quote unquote primitive, uh, you know, there's always a rite of passage you go through from going from boy to man, you know, girl to woman. There's something about you challenge, you tested, then you're welcomed into the tribe. Now you're a man. Now you like you've earned this right. We miss that often in our society. I don't think college and partying is that. You know, there's like something about where you're challenged and you step up and you step up. You realize what you're made of. Mm-hmm. Boot camp did that for me, mm-hmm. and then infantry boot camp did that for me. Like every day you're challenged. There's no pleasant day. There's no like, ah, man, I'm just going to sit here and, but I was still the guy and, and, you know, patrol and I'd be like, Hey, move. Cause I'm standing there looking at stars. Yeah. You know, but, <laughs>
1: but a sense of pride and, and ownership. Like yes. I, I did this hard thing. This is mine. You yes. Know, at if that you were age, just kind of cruising through school, there probably wasn't that same, you know, sense of accomplishment.
0: Yeah. There wasn't that at all at school. Yeah. And the military is good about that. They do give you that. Yeah. You know they do challenge you, and and they do make you feel like you earn what you get. Uh-huh. Yeah, they're very good about that. And were you deployed? No, I uh, I was in during was a Desert Shield, Desert Storm. By the time they said, "Hey, we may deploy you," I was light infantry, mountain infantry. The thing was over yeah. because it was an air war. Uh huh. So you're just hanging out in Georgia. <laughs> Georgia, foot Drum. Uh-huh. Yeah, just I. Uh, funny enough, I ran into someone who's in tenth mountain the flight here. And randomly, I never meet people, we were talking. She's like, yeah, I was deployed all the time. I was like, yeah, well, you actually worked, I didn't. Mm. So that, you know, kudos
1: to you. So how long were you in the military then?
0: Total, I think a little over three years. I did yeah. some of the reserves because I went to school. I uh-huh. had a chance to go to um a private school upstate in New York,
1: so I went there. So you took that that sweet army money, put it to work. It wasn't. Went back it turned turn, turn out to be not much. <laughs> <laughs> it was. It was all. It was all marketing <laughs> fluff.
0: It, yeah, it turned out to be way little. There's all these stipulations. You know, when you're 18 year old signing a contract, you do not look at the fine print. Mm-hmm. You just say, they just say this much money. You say okay, sweet. It's when the it, when the rubber meets the road is like there's loads of fine print. But I'm still, you know, that's fine. Yeah. So you go back to school. What's the plan? Um, the plan is to, There wasn't a plan. I was studying economics at the time. I ended up studying economics and biology. And I thought I was gonna go to med school and be a uh, emergency pediatric uh, mm-hmm. person. I was working in hospitals and level one trauma centers uh, to get that experience, you know, for med school. What was the allure of medicine? Do something useful. Like I, it was like, I could go anywhere in the world and be useful. I could land in a random village in Timbuktu, you know, and I could be useful. That's what it was. Yeah. And so how come that didn't happen? Um, I took a break. I backpacked around for a while. My dad died. I went to um, India, took his ashes there. We weren't close at all. So we were estranged, but I was with him when he died. And um, I was in the hospital when he died and it was being in the hospital, watching the experience kind of shook me up. Um, I couldn't be in, an, I had to get away from hospitals for a little while. And when I came back, I ended up actually wandering with a backpack for about eight months through mm-hmm. India and Euro, Nepal uh, and Europe with like $3,000 to my name, nothing mm-hmm. more, like no credit cards, nothing. And living, I think in Europe on $5 a day, that was my budget, $3 a day, yeah. <laughs> you know? And, um, but I came back. I knew I wanted to write what I'd experienced. I wanted to, I knew I had stories to tell. So I started writing, and I was looking at medical school. And then Silicon Valley was happening. And my brother, he uh, he called me. He said, "Hey, get the New York Times this weekend." I said, "Why?" He said, "Just get the New York Times." I said, "Okay." And so I'm reading the New York Times, trying to figure out why. And the Sunday uh, magazine, there's a two-page write-up of my little brother. Mm. You know, on this on this company he started. Is that I call, for Angelist? No, no, Angelist is more recent. That was um, way back in the day, uh, like, you know, the first .com right, boom. So right. we're
1: early .com yeah. boom. Early .com yeah.
0: boom. And a two page write up. I mean, in fact, Amazon reviews and all this stuff copied what he built. They didn't have that, like that's, uh-huh. you know, he, and all these ratings that exist on the web exist because of what he built. And um, I called him up and he's like, look, what are you doing watching people die every day? He said, come out here, we're building the future. I was like, man, <laughs> you know, uh-huh. like I was kind of warned of watching people die at yeah. work. And um, and I just finished the first draft of terrible, terrible draft of a novel.
1: Right, you went, like you went up upstate to upst- in upstate New York and holed up to try yeah. to write a novel, right? Yeah. yeah, and wrote it and it was t- yeah. atrocious,
0: absolute atrocious, uh-huh. you know. Um, six months, you know, <laughs> but sometimes you gotta do the atrocious to understand uh-huh. that look, there's a path to non-atrocious.
1: Of course, you know, <laughs> this This book here doesn't exist without doing a yeah. lot of atrocious writing, you oh know, God. over the decades. I've done those 10,000 hours. Yeah.
0: And uh, when he said that, I thought about it. And I was at the gym, at Gold's gym, I was working with this guy. And I was talking to him. I was like, man, I want to go out there, but I'm scared. I'm like, you know, there's what if he's like, look, Kamal, I have one piece of advice. I said, what? He said, leap and the net will appear. I, I don't know what it was, but literally that shifted for me right there. Mm-hmm. So I got rid of everything, bought a one-way ticket and just moved out and-
1: Leap and the net will appear. Yeah.
0: And it's something I've learned. That's how it works.
1: It does. It absolutely, I mean, that's, I, I've had many experiences um, with that very thing. And- what I've also noticed is when I try to sidestep that by having my foot in both camps at the same time, trying to do the safe and secure thing, like, well, I can't quite leave this thing um, yet, so I'm going to develop this on the side, and when it matures, then I'll take the leap when it's safe. Never works out. Yeah, I mean, maybe it, it does for other people. There's a there's a rational argument for that, but there is something. I think transcendent and magical when you have the faith and the courage to completely let go of what's not serving you and, and take that step into the unknown. And in my experience, when you do that full of heart, well-intentioned and prepared to work your ass off, that inevitably something happens to catch that fall and create a soft landing.
0: That is, you know, I think it's one of the fundamental truths of life. It really is. Um, but there's no way to learn it. You have to experience it. You know, it's it's scary. Yeah, it's scary each time you do it because it's a different it's a different cliff you're
1: jumping off, Mm -hmm. (laughs) different scenery. But you got little bro out there killing it, and we should say your brother is involved, right? Yeah, he's he's kind of become like a guru in his own right. It's kind (laughs) of an amazing thing, right? What what's going on? I don't know, you guys. I don't know, man. Maybe
0: it's in the blood. Who knows? Uh Um, uh, But you know, he was doing his own thing. I went there to do my own thing, and. so I ended up like working there and building startups and mm-hmm. kind of fell in love with it. Like the ability to create these companies and no one knowing what they're doing, we're just making it up at the point, right? Figuring it out and just throwing it online and seeing if it works, if not, you're iterating. And there was, a, there was a, an energy that I hadn't experienced before. There was an excitement and an energy of building the future.
1: Yeah. Well, it was this crazy moment where ideas could get funded seemingly overnight and turn and into did. these realities. We just had the experience that with the cryptocurrency boom, same, but cryptocurrency
0: mm-hmm. boom was way more scammy, you know? Yeah. Um, but yeah, it really was. And, and people coming from all over the world uh, from there just to like, you know, go West. It was it was literally go West young man all over again. Right. And it was a very special moment in time, and that's where I train. I look at that as my MBA, where I trained. Um, you know, you just get thrown in and look. We have to. Okay, now we we've gone public. We got to figure out how to monetize. I don't know. Come on, figure it out. Okay, uh-huh. <laughs> I'll figure out how to monetize
1: this public company on the web. You know, because just no one knew. Did you? Have a sense that, that your kind of multi, multidisciplinary approach to life served you in that regard? Like okay. as somebody who had a, you know, a, a kind of variety of interests and, and you know, kind of a jack of all trades, master of none approach came in handy for that kind of thing?
0: You know, it's interesting you ask that because I used to beat myself up when I was younger for having too many interests, which is why I struggled with the whole medical school thing because as much as I wanted to be a doctor, I knew I would have to give everything else up. I love to travel, I love to take all this time to read and write and do, do these other things, right? And startups, to be able to build a company from scratch and go take it somewhere, you basically have to do everything. And it turned out to be what I thought was my greatest weakness. It turned out to be, you You take what is you think is your weakness, you mm-hmm. just put in a different environment. It's your greatest strength. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it was a perfect fail, And that was part of the reason why I made that choice because I, I was
1: flourishing in that. Were people prior to that, throughout your life telling you, you need to focus. Yes. Yes. (laughs) Oh my God, so true. Come on, you could be so great. Just pick a lane. Yeah, yeah. You know, and it makes you think about how many people are out there being fed, you know, some version of that story um, who, you know, don't find that situation where suddenly the round peg fits into the round hole.
0: You know, that's probably more common than not. Yeah. I would say so. I think that's the best thing is like switch your environment if that environment is, is not the fit, but it's hard. Yeah. It's hard to do.
1: So you build a bunch of startups, multiple companies over the years, mm-hmm. rocking and rolling. Off and on. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's, it had to be pretty exciting. Making good money, Most, good. I
0: mean, most never go anywhere. That's right. a dirty little secret of startups, right? Uh-huh. Like 90 uh, something percent fail. That's not, S- that's similar, not a like, really similar good Similar to
1: stuff. like screenwriters in Hollywood yeah. projects. You know, there's yeah. so many projects that you think are gonna go, people toil on them for years and then they just end up in a drawer somewhere.
0: Yeah, but at least in Hollywood, they get paid
1: for mm-hmm. doing those. Like yeah. you could be working a
0: startup for years making practically nothing. And it goes nowhere, Uh you know? And so some went places, some went nowhere. Um, But it was was a good gig, you know, no complaints. I Uh enjoyed it. And I enjoyed working with some of the smartest people on the planet. You meet people who are stupidly, scarily smart, you know? But everyone's smart in their own way. And then to be surrounded by people who are smart in in a way that I'm not, and to be Mm -hmm. able to work with them and lead them Mm -hmm. and, and
1: learn from them. Was was beautiful. What are some of the biggest lessons that you learned during that tenure about life and business?
0: You know what's interesting? The lessons I learned were stuff I knew. And like, like, for example, I developed a reputation for being able to build really great teams, just be able to get really great people to come on board for my crazy ideas, for me paying them nothing when they were getting massive offers, uh-huh. like how... You know what? I went. I basically I just did what I learned in, in the military. You know, so, so I'm going to use the word men because I was in the infantry and it was all men, um, or boys or whatever. And you take care of your men. If you're leading, you take care of them. You eat last. You know, they, you you show up first. You leave last. You lead by example. Like when you go to Fort Benning, I remember being in that bus being taken from Atlanta Airport to Fort Benning, and there's a statue, a very famous uh, statue, of the of an infantryman in World War II. And he's, he's got his rifle and he's got his hand up like this and he's charging forward and he says, uh-huh. follow me. That's basically leadership in a nutshell, follow me. And so that's how I built stuff. Like I was the hardest worker. I was the lowest paid guy. Mm. I let like all the credit always went to the team, never took any credit. You know, cause I don't care if we win, I, I, I'll do just fine. Uh-huh. <laughs> I'd rather have the, you know, the rewards than the credit. And, and um, but that came from an 18 an year old. You know, I didn't learn anything like that um, doing it. I learned it. It's very interesting. Yeah, that is
1: interesting. So there's a good chance that, you know, short of some ex- experiences that you, that you had that we're working our way towards, um, this could have just gone on ad infinitum, iterating yeah. on, on, you know, startups, going from startup to startup. And then writing novels on mm-hmm. the side and collecting rejection letters. Time. Did you keep the writing up? Persistently oh God, yeah. throughout all of this, yeah, that's what I did in yeah. my free
0: time, obsessively studying the greats. Like, there's certain Hemingway books I read, I don't know, twenty, thirty, forty times, underlining, see how he did what he did. I was obsessed,
1: uh-huh. um, but never the thought that that this that that would become your vocation. This was something you did purely for the love, for the love, and and people are like, what are you doing, wasting your time? You're uh-huh. getting, you're
0: getting rejection letters. Like, what are you doing, right? But it was like, I knew I I wanted to put books out there. I just didn't know if it was gonna happen. In fact, by the time I wrote The Original Love Yourself, I'd given up on writing for a couple of years. I hadn't written for a couple of years. Uh, But man, that training that I thought had been useless, you know, came out and
1: it's been amazing. Yeah. So. Talk to me about the precipitating event that kind of catalyzed <laughs> you know, this, whole, this whole thing, you know? Man, you I feel like, of- well, here's the thing, like, uh-huh. like all great, you know, personal evolutions begin with some, you know, act of destruction. And, you know, it, it, it lends itself to the belief that, you know, uh, these amazing uh, epiphanies about the human condition um, grow, they emanate out of the ashes of, you know, that, uh, you know, various forms of disaster. Well, and you know, to be a those Phoenix, opportunities yeah. exist. They're 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 there for the taking for anybody. You can read your book and and you know get a sense of of you know what led you to this point that set you on a new trajectory. But the opportunity exists for anybody to take advantage of these tools for personal growth and and evolution, shy of having to you know meet your maker, so to speak. But unfortunately, pain is the ultimate motivator. It does get your attention. Yeah. I'll tell you that.
0: You know, but it's like I've thought about this. Um, it's like to be a phoenix, you got to burn. You know, um, it's like the whole process of rebirth. It's not. It's not easy. It's not painless. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, like so. So the precip- precipitating event or what led mm. to Love the Yourself. Inciting the inciting incident. The yeah. incident. <laughs> so what does it be called in chemistry, <laughs> yeah. you know, when the reaction happens. Um, I had built a company, I would self-funded it uh, for, uh, this was gonna be my FU money company, mm-hmm. right? And I was doing very well. I was taking, I was actually taking away real business from Google, Yahoo in a vertical no one had ever done before. I was pulling it off, built a great team, got the deals that no one could get. It was like, a, I was obsessed. Right? And, and I was built three and a half years and then I ran out of money. Uh, you know, building a tech company for three and a half years, you'd run out of Self-funded. money. Self-funded. Self-funded, yeah. right? pretty much everyone's gonna run out of money <laughs> except for a couple people. Uh, yeah. <laughs> and um, I took investment and it was doing well and then the whole thing blew up and I lost everything. You know, I, was, uh, I lost my company, but along with it, I lost my, my sense of self-worth if, to put it mildly because my company was my complete identity. You know, what I was doing was my identity. I've, I was depressed beyond belief. I had no money. I was living off credit cards. I remember having to make some payroll um, on the side to some of my employees off credit mm. of credit cards. I was like, look, man, you bought him a crazy dream. I can't have your wife and kids start because, you know. Um, wow. And it was, it was it rough to be an understatement. There were times where I was like, look, I remember looking at the Bay Bridge from my window And really like, I was so exhausted, I was burnt out. I was like, I was like really sick, burnt out, you know whatever they call it, adrenal fatigue, all the works. Like I went to some doctor who worked with me later on it and I didn't have the strength to walk over the Bay Bridge and throw myself off. Otherwise I would've, Hmm. you know, I was literally like that. And I think it was the next night or the night after that I remember getting up and I was like, I was miserable. I was like, I can't do this. I gotta get out of this. I mean, again, I get out of this or die trying. That's it. I can't be in this space. And I walked over to my desk and I have a journal that I write in. And in there, and I still don't know where I came from. I sat down, and I wrote a vow to myself. Now I do believe in the power of personal commitment. Like if I make a commitment to myself, I'm gonna keep it. That's something I've had for a while. Um, something I've trained myself for a while, but a vow. I've never written a vow to myself. That, I don't know where that word came from. And then it was a vow to love myself. It came in the moment. I am not a guy who was thinking about. Hey, you know what I need? You know what I really need? I think I need to love myself. That uh-huh. never occurred to me once. But yet, in that moment, that's what came out. Where did it come from? Where is that? What's that deep stillness that mm-hmm. you know runs the whole show?
1: Yeah, you know. Well, you have this, you know, crushing incident. Your ego is is crashing down. You've been humbled. You've been stripped away from all of the. Um, externalities that you were living for. And it's like a deconstruction of your character all the way to your very core, right? Like there's few things more painful in life. And to be confronted with that presents you with a choice like destruction or rebirth, the bridge, or in your case, finding a way to love yourself. And they're
0: both very tempting. I mean, in fact, that bridge is more tempting than the love yourself, <laughs> honestly. Yeah. I'll be honest, because <laughs> the bridge is easy. You love yourself. What does that even mean? Yeah. I remember sitting back, kind of looking at myself, like looking at this, like, what have I just done? But I had written a vow, right, to myself. Like there was something there, like that doesn't just happen. And so I was like, all right, now what? Well, I'm gonna have to figure this out. I'm gonna have to do this. Now, <laughs> even though I've written a book about it, I didn't go to read, read books on it. You know, anything I'd come across in that genre had been all like platitudes, but nothing. I'm a big believer in... Like if, if someone's on fire, don't lecture to them about nature or combustion, throw water on them, mm-hmm. right? I didn't- Practical I didn't, solutions. Practical solutions, show me how to, how to fix my mind. You know, this misery, this pain, this angst I'm in, get me out of it. And so I was like, well, it's my mind. So who's gonna work on it for me? I am, I have no choice. I made this vow, so I, and now I have a direction. This this love, this L-O-V-E word, which I wasn't even sure what it meant. And so I started to try to do it. And I didn't know what, I tried like, I, I was like a crazy mad scientist in my apartment, just trying things. I was like, should I write it down this many times a day, this, that, should I like just feel excited? What should I, like I was trying all these things. And at one point I stumbled, I was, I was tired. I was like, you know what? I'm just gonna start saying it to myself because that's one thing I can do. And so I started repeating it to myself and it was interesting that happened. After a couple of days, I had nothing else to do. Mm-hmm. The company was gone. I had no money. Like, I wasn't like, in a shape to go get a job, right? Uh-huh. I had time. And you know, I had a credit limit on my credit cards. And something started to shift after, I think, about two, three days. And you know, it's
1: my mind. I'm keeping,
0: you know, so I noticed I started to feel a little better.
1: And all I've been doing was just running this. Just stuff. looping this phrase. Yeah. Telling yourself time and time again, I love myself. I love yeah. myself. Yeah. I love myself.
0: That's simple. And I was like, okay, this, it could be basically because by doing this one loop, I'm actually keeping all the other loops from running, you know, with the self-destructive loops or the negative loops. Mm-hmm. But could be maybe I'm going somewhere deeper. And after three, four days, I remember I was like, well, let me try to feel it. And I started making myself feel it.
1: You know, and it feels really fake in the beginning. What What is the process of going from head to heart with that? Like the the the, the distinction between repeating this mantra time and time again and attempting to feel it.
0: Well, this is what I came up with, uh, was I somehow connected the sense of light to the feeling of love. I don't remember, I think it might've been because of the moonlight was coming in one night through the window as I was doing this and I was feeling the light coming from the moon, like a big moon and big, you know, window in, in the bay. And um, yeah, that's what it was, I've forgotten it, right? And, and so I remember starting to feel like light coming in and I would take a deep breath with the light coming in. I would imagine this is not just the life from the moon, it's like all the, it's like galaxies tipping over and just the light pouring from them into my head, just coming mm. in and the light coming in through my body as I breathe in. And I'm, feel, and I'm feeling the love come in. And then I just breathe out whatever gunk needs to go.
1: Mm-hmm. And
0: I started doing that and that shifted things like that.
1: That was like, okay, there's something here. And what was that shift? Like what, what was the physical manifestation of that? You, notice, of you that?
0: notice like a heaviness that goes away. Yeah. You know, and um, in fact, when I was just describing, I was kind of sort of doing it and I felt like my, my chest feel lighter. Uh-huh. It's, there's a you're absolutely right. There is a physical component to it that I've sort of forgotten because now I just do this, a lot of this in autopilot. Um, but that was one of the things. And then I started doing a meditation with it. So I was just practicing, trying things. Because I, like I said, I had a vow and nothing else to do and something was working. And so I, if it didn't shift things, I threw it away. And so by the end, I would basically taken this basic loop and built like a practice around it of a meditation, of like a seven meditation of looking in the mirror, doing mm-hmm. it to myself, which is more of a physical, anchoring myself to my physical self and then walking into this mental loop. And I started to shift everything inside. Um, right, I How long miserable. did that take? Less than weeks, a couple of weeks. Yeah. You know, keep in mind, there was a trial and error. There's a right. lot of trial and error going right, on right, right. and a lot of disbelief. I did it because I had nothing else to do and because I made a vow mm-hmm. and I was desperate because mm-hmm. otherwise there was the Bay Bridge. That was my other
1: choice. Right, desperation feels willingness though. God, kind of, yeah. <laughs> what I think is really interesting about this is that the typical reaction to experiencing something devastating would be to uh, seek out a therapist, go to the doctor, or perhaps even, you know, go to an ashram or seek out a guru or start reading a bunch of books, like to to um, seek externally for answers. Hmm. But in your case, you kind of did the opposite. Like you just went in deeper and deeper and deeper and ex- experimented with your own intuition and instincts. The tools that came out of this are not, I mean, there are other people that do, you know, variations Mm -hmm. of the things that you're talking about. So it's not like you invented something that didn't already exist, but you you had to discover it within your own personal experience rather than sit at the foot of a guru and have that person tell you to do that.
0: Yeah, I'm trying to remember why I didn't seek externally. Part of it is I'm kind of, I'm almost trying to figure things out. I've always been that kid who's trying to figure out the nature of Mm -hmm. reality since as far as I can remember. And, but you're right, it was instinct, but it was also like, I didn't think I could go to anyone with the level of desperation I felt. Um, like I'd done therapy in college, it was one of the best things I ever did to to you know, go over some childhood stuff, but I'd done it, right? Um, I'm trying to remember, this is a great point, I'm trying to remember why I just went in. I think because of that vow, and I was like, I made a vow to myself, I gotta keep it to myself. And
1: um, Was there a fear of letting anyone else know what you were experiencing? This crazy talk, yes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, that's <laughs> just, a great point. That's but great no, point. I mean, just calling your friend and saying, listen, I'm thinking about jumping off the bridge. Like I'm in, a, I'm in a bad state, like I need help. Or were you just, were you isolating and like determined to figure it out on your own? The latter. As opposed to seeking the la- help. The latter, yeah. Cause yeah. that can also be, that can lead people to, to the greater depths of darkness. that could lead them to the bridge. Yeah, yeah.
0: that was. I'm, I wouldn't recommend it. Yeah, you know, been that, that path. Mm-hmm. It's uh, there's many paths to transformation, some are easier than others. Yeah. I would recommend the easier path. Yeah. <laughs> yeah.
1: <laughs> so, I had yesterday, I had um, this guy Shane Parrish in here. Do you know who oh, Shane yeah, yeah. is? Farnham yeah. Street, yeah. And and there's an interesting juxtaposition between the things that we talked about and what he talks about in his writing and his and in his book. Uh, and 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 what you talk about in that Shane is a guy who has a computer scientist mind and realized that nobody had really canonized uh how to make good decisions and so he sought he sought he went out into the world and canvassed the best information possible and tried to create like a uh, a lattice work, an encyclopedic lattice work of how to make good decisions. Interesting, like, you know what I mean? Like in a very kind of rational, logical way, saying mm-hmm. we need we need a better guide on how we're making decisions that impact our lives, so we can lead better lives and and create better businesses, et cetera. Um, and his so his focus was 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 very much a looking outward. What are the what are the greatest minds of all time? What have they had to say about this? Let me take the best of that and figure out a way to synthesize it in a way that can that can help me um, help me figure out like a program, for lack of a better word, to make better decisions. In your case, there's 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 an analogy here and kind of a converse relationship in that you looked inward. And rather, rather than, than going outward and saying, what do the greatest, most enlightened minds have to say about how I can get myself out of this hole, you just went inward and trusted your instinct. You know, it was, a, it was very much an emotional, spiritual journey of, of trying to deepen your connection with self and, and, and not be influenced by the outside world. Man, you should have been around then. You put it beautifully. I I, I look at it. I didn't know what I was doing. Right. (laughs) Um, And and in that original version of the book, and now you know more fully fleshed out and significantly fleshed out in in "Love Yourself Like Your Life Depends on It," you you kind of walk people through like, here's what I did, and here's how you can do it too. And there's a variety of practices that begin with looping this mantra of "I love myself." You've got a breath work practice, ten breaths. this meditation practice where in your case, it's seven minutes, you find a song that, you know, basically allows you to anchor yourself. And that's a daily thing, this mirror practice, which I wanna talk about. Um, And they're all like very short, easy things to do um, when undertaken consistently can really shift those neural pathways Mm -hmm. and, and, and alter, you know, how you, how you, how you feel physically and how you feel emotionally.
0: Yeah, because, That comes from just like, I, I wanna be efficient. It's just called, uh-huh. uh, basically I'm lazy. You know, so I wanna yeah. do the least amount of work for the greatest, greatest impact. And, and I don't wanna spend the rest of my life walking around doing like a crazy man, you know, just speaking uh-huh. to myself, I love myself, right? So like, yeah. I was just trying out what, is, what causes the greatest shift that I can do and just start doing those regularly. Mm-hmm. So these were some of the things, the 10 breaths one is really, it's simple, man. It's so simple, but Walk it's, me through it. It's So remember the what I told you about it's, uh, so we're breathing every day, whether we want to or not until we're not. So 10 breaths throughout the day, like actually I was doing on the, on the Uber right here, I'll actually just pause from everything. Like if I can, I'll close my eyes and I'll take a deep the ten deep and purposeful breaths. These are intentional breaths. This is for these ten breaths. This is what I'm doing. This is who I'm being. And with the in breath, same thing. The light from galaxies coming in above. The light uh-huh. is. With the light comes a feeling of love. You know, we're wired for light.
1: And are you saying I love myself as you're doing that? Sometimes, sometimes no. Sometimes I'm
0: just feeling the love mm-hmm. because because I've anchored the feeling of light to love, right? And you just if you do it enough times, it just becomes natural. And I feel the love come in. And just go in and I just feel my heart and my chest just open and get lightened. And then I just breathe out. And then what happens is usually about the sixth or seventh, I notice, automatically, when I'm breathing out, I'm breathing out, thank you. So breathe in love, breathe out, uh, thank you. 10 breaths. Just throughout the day, pause and do that. It settles you better than anything. Mm. It's a very simple thing. Yeah. So I've added these throughout the... Basically, what I've done in the book, I've showed all the different things I do. Pick and choose what works for you, but this is also the core practice. But that's that one anyone can do anywhere. You can do it in the toilet, you can do it in the shower. You have no excuse not to breathe.
1: Yeah. What's funny is that is that they're so simple, right? And and it's easy to to dismiss them as hokey, uh-huh. right? Like you think, oh, this is like Stuart Smalley looking in the mirror on Saturday Night Live river. <laughs> you're worth it and you have value, you know. And it's just like. Come on, man! Are you serious? Um, but I know that the that these techniques are effective. Um, I can't say that I've practiced this specific um, regimen, but I do have a very good friend. I'm part of a um, like a, a men's group. I get together with a, with a group of guys once a week, and we w- with a therapist, and we talk about things that are going on in our life. And there's one friend who who's part of this, and he has been doing this very, I don't think he's read your book, but he has been he has been practicing the I love, I love myself mantra and he's been doing the mirror work. Like basically for the last, I think like maybe four or five weeks, spending time in front of the mirror, like just staring into his eyes and saying, I, I, I love myself. He's read the I book. Love myself. He must I, have, I haven't right? come across anyone else doing that. <laughs> and, I, and he has been sharing that it has been completely transformative. And this is somebody who, is already very much, uh, you know, a, a spiritually advanced individual. Like mm-hmm. th- this guy's not new to, you know, techniques like this. Um, he's already like, you know, a, a very evolved human being, and he has been telling us that like this is really notched things up to a whole nother level for him in in the way he's experiencing the world. That's awesome.
0: Yeah. You know, it's you know, an art. you know, know, what is it? Simplicity is ultimate Mm -hmm. sophistication. If you, you got to distill down to the simplest, simplest thing. That's where it works. That's where the truth is. It's easy to create complicated, practices and, you know, I could have put in all sorts of instance bowls and this and that, which right. are great for, for ambience,
1: but. People it, like that though. They're like, take me, yeah, I get that. I love myself, but like, take me behind the velvet rope. Like what's the VIP version of this? <laughs> it's the same thing. Like, you know, look, I've been in, I've been in 12 step forever. And you're like, really? It's the same steps. They haven't updated this thing. You know, <laughs> no, it's like, a secret wall what? oh, it. I have to like do an inventory again, come on, like, give me the, give me the advanced program, the AP version. Well, I did something in the book
0: that, in the new version that does help, does kind of go there, which is I took an experience of when I felt, this is this is after I've been doing the practice. Uh-huh. And I kind of got late. I got very lazy and let life, yeah. life get in the way and I fell apart. Yeah. You know,
1: it turns out- This is the whole third part of the book.
0: Yeah. It turns out you don't just fall apart once in life. No. <laughs> you know? Yeah. And, and um, what I did was, I started doing the practice again from scratch because I've been doing it for a long time. I'd gotten Uh lazy, you know, and I'm the guy who wrote the damn book, right? And so what I did was I wrote down exactly what I went through, also the inside and shared that in here. So one can actually see, okay, it's not just like, here, do this, this work for me, do that, but actually see me doing it and see the inside effects. So it's the nuances matter in these things. See the nuances that are happening. See the shifts that are happening. See what I'm doing right. See what I'm doing wrong. And let me point it out to mm-hmm. you. Um, which is actually what, get, I wanted to cut that part out so badly, because it's so honest, so vulnerable. And it's thanks to Gideon. He was yeah. like, no, no, no. This is the reason why I no, love, I love it this No, that's the shit. Book. Yeah, I mean, that's,
1: that's the whole thing. Um, because it reinforces our shared humanity. Like we are fallible human beings. This is a practice. This isn't something you do and go, oh, it's all good. And I did that and now I'm moving on to this other part of my life. Like this is, this is a recursive thing. It compounds over time, mm-hmm. but if you take your foot off the gas, you're gonna reset and you're ultimately you know, gonna regress. Um, and the way I like to think about, I mean, I, I think it's profound, and I think that that third part really anchors that whole idea in a, you know, in a really grounded and beautiful way. Um, you know, I have my own version of of that story. You know, it was it was it was impressed upon me when I was in rehab. Like, look, you know, every moment, every decision that you make, every thought you entertain, every every person that you encounter, these things are either moving you, you know back towards a drink or moving you further away from a drink. You're either growing or you're regressing. There is no stasis. As human beings, we wanna believe that we can arrive at a static state. <laughs> and, and that's a great delusion that I think leads most of us astray. And when I was finishing Finding Ultra in late 2011, this memoir about addiction and recovery and this you know journey towards greater self-actualization, I, I uh, I relapsed like thir- thirteen years sober, and I and I relapsed. And this, you know, I'm put, I'm turning in the manuscript mm-hmm. like this book's almost done, and it was one of the most shameful, embarrassing things I could ever possibly imagine. Like, how could I actually pick up a drink after thirteen years when I'm about to put up put out this book that talks about this journey towards sobriety as one very significant component of it. Um, and it's the very same thing, which is that I, I, you know, got to a place where I was on cruise control and thought that I had it handled. And I never questioned uh, whether or not I was an alcoholic, but I took my foot off the gas and deprioritized my engagement with twelve step and that community. And ultimately, you know, after you know a year of that it was inevitable that what happened happened and luckily i found my way back immediately and i've shared about this publicly many times but and 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 now i look at it as a gift because it rebooted my um, my engagement with that with that aspect of who i am and really reinforced um this idea that it is a practice and that this is not something you're you're going to ultimately transcend like you this is oh i woke up again today okay i'm i got to go do that thing again you know yeah it's a
0: it is a practice and like i use the word coasting and that's one of the reasons why yeah. you know, i was like look here's the dangers of coasting and here's and but really that third part you know we were talking about Gideon Wilde Harper 1 he's the reason why that's still there i was too terrified uh-huh. uh, but i'm glad i kept that cuz that's been very impactful to people
1: yeah i think the vulnerability in it is is powerful so why don't we explain what it is, <laughs> what it is that 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 kind of catalyzed that
0: well it was a really traumatic breakup so when i love dearly, still love, you know, and, and, uh, wasn't my choice. And, uh, you know, it just kind of, I'd been going through stuff at the time anyway, and that was like the incident that just kind of made me come apart at the wheels. Mm -hmm. And, and for the interesting thing was, I'm like, part of it, there was that, there was that shame. I was like, look, I'm the guy who wrote the book on how not to, how to be, how to fix this stuff. Right. You've graduated. I have graduated. I'm like, I got a you know. date, I got a corporate job, you know, like and and that was actually so I actually kind of struggled and I fought it I almost like I was like, well maybe it won't work this time because I've fallen off this wagon. And but it's like in the end it was like go what you know that works. You gotta go back to what you know that works. Mm-hmm. And I started doing it almost grudgingly, almost like shit. Grudging and grudging. And you know what? It started to work, it started to work, it started to work. And so I even show how I did the process kind of like ass backwards. And I say like, look, this is the actual process. It's taking me this long because I'm, I'm fighting it. And, but look, even as I'm fighting it, look at what's happening inside. Look at the effect. Every single word, every single word in this book is true. It has happened, it's what I felt, it's what I experienced. Um, yeah, but man, that was interesting, feeling the internal shame. I remember sitting yeah. at the airport, um, getting ready for flight to San Francisco, just, Reading David Goggins' book has come out, had come out, you know. Uh And I was reading it, and I was like, you know, when you read someone like David Goggins, you're like, damn, that
1: guy's impressive.
0: You know, and you're feeling like me, I just fell apart again. Like, what?
1: (laughs) (laughs) Right, I know. Yeah, he could have that effect, right? (laughs) A mirror for our own fallibility, right? Well, I think what is profound about it is that destruction, it's like what you said, like, you know, if you want to be a phoenix you got to burn, like to, opportunity finds its moment in destruction, right? And it's it's this grand opportunity to deepen your surrender to something more powerful mm. than yourself, right? It's a it's a it's you're being asked to um, you know, prostrate yourself a little bit lower to, you know, to really give over your ego even more, to humble yourself and and to um and to you know let go like you're being confronted with your character defects in a really profound way right so then you have to forgive yourself again and you have to do it even more profoundly than you had to prior
0: yeah it's actually you know uh i'm learning like life you know it's like a building a startup excuse the analogy but no company just rocket ships straight up to the right it's like it's it's loops uh-huh. you know and um, but there is something to be said about consistency in what you what really matters, like fitness right if you're not consistent in your practice, it'll show your body will show sure. same with the mind, and the mind is actually more plastic, more malleable than anything else, yet it's the one that we work on the least
1: We really do right right like, we really overlook it and so that's starting to change
0: but it's starting to change, but there's a lot of stuff out there that's um I don't know if it's effective or not, there's a lot of stuff out there. In the end, it's gotta be something, what is the best workout? Or what is the best nutrition plan? It's the one you can do consistently. Mm-hmm. You know, that's, that's what you gotta go for. But it's consistently that gives you results.
1: Let's go back to forgiveness mm-hmm. uh, for a minute. I think that's an important piece in all of this. So how do you think about and practice that?
0: Well, forgiveness, there's two forms, right? Forgiving others or forgiving yourself. Um, The novel I wrote, uh, Rebirth, that's about forgiveness, but that's about forgiving my father after he died, the whole journey while I walked a pilgrimage in Spain. And the result of that pilgrimage was I learned how to forgive him. Right, like
1: 550 miles.
0: Yeah, Camino de Santiago. Um, And you know what it was? In the end, it was just realizing his humanity. He was a human being, man. You can't hold humans to, to the criteria of God's. You know, but we seem to do that with the you know, and this really his humanity. That's when you realize someone's humanity is very easy to forgive.
1: But in order to do that, you have to you have to uh, transcend your child your childhood lens on your parent, yeah. right? And 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 shift that perspective to see it through the eyes of the parent,
0: or to see the eyes of a human being looking at another human being. You can never completely remove that, right? Uh-huh. The parent, but if you can just do human being to another human being. That right away shifts it, yeah. and you see their struggles. You know their even faulty decision making, whatever. But their struggles, and that's, when you understand that, if, if forgiveness actually comes naturally because you can't help it. You mm-hmm. kind of understand. You know mm-hmm. you don't you don't have to accept it. You don't have to say yes, I agree. I'm glad you you were that way. You know, I'm glad you did X, Y, Z. But you can, because forgiveness ultimately is freeing yourself. Yeah, you know.
1: Yeah, I think we look at it as a two-way street. Like I'll forgive you when you ask me for forgiveness, or you admit what you did and how you wronged me. But ultimately, the person who's carrying the resentment or the anger um, or that pain is the one who is suffering. The one who is the object mm-hmm. of being not forgiven is often even unaware. Of That's that. the, our great iron So right? it's a self-inflicted harm. I was at an event, a thing last night. It's another like little group thing that I do, that was created by this organization called the Nantucket Project, and they've created these neighborhood—they're they're called neighborhood projects—where little, you know, small groups of people get together, and they watch a, a short film that the Nantucket Project produces, and then there's a, a discussion ensues. Kind of like to create, you know, um, uh, you know, greater community in our neighborhoods, and the movie that that we watched last night in this group setting was a short documentary about the genocide in Rwanda and how the president of Rwanda was faced with this um, prospect of how to repair his country in the aftermath of this horrible tragedy. And the story is told from his perspective and also through the perspective of a perpetrator of the genocide, somebody who killed a lot of people and a woman who whose family had been killed. And ultimately it's a story about how these two people um, forgive each other. Wow. And and it's incredibly inspiring. And it left me thinking about the incredible exponential power of forgiveness. I think there's something beautifully transcendent and unique about forgiveness in that it it holds this potential energy capacity to, to be so incredibly transformative. Maybe it's because it's rare. I don't know what it is about it uniquely, but um, but to see that, it's impossible not to be moved. And it leaves you thinking about um, the people in our own lives that, that we refuse to forgive or the resentments that we hold on to about how we've been wronged and the pain that that creates and the impediments to moving forward that that constructs in our lives. Um, and also um, about the people that we've harmed and thinking more deeply mm-hmm. about people who might be out in the world carrying that kind of pain over things that we might've done. Yeah. And, the, and, then, and then forgiving ourselves, right? To repeat and loop the mantra, I love myself. I think self-forgiveness is a subset of that. Is it yeah, not?
0: that's actually the other part of forgiveness, right? Self-forgiveness, what I found, you know, for me, it's what I've learned is start with the self first. You work on the self, the rest actually gets easier. That just naturally starts to work. And same thing with here was like in this book, you know, I have a practice that I do on forgiving myself and it actually works beautifully. Um, And it's a very practical practice, you know, like everything it's practical, you can do it and you will notice the shift. And what I learned was I didn't have that in the original version. What I've learned is if you're gonna make a a commitment to love yourself, you can do this practice you know, leave the past. You leave the sh- You can't leave the mm-hmm. past. behind, but leave the shackles of the past behind. And what you do is you forgive yourself, and then you start to love yourself. Mm-hmm. That's almost like the step by step, right? And makes it makes a huge difference. And again, it's not platitudes. It's actually, how I do it, it's like you know, um, I mean, if very quickly, it's like I, I don't know where I, I come up with these crazy things. I, I had a, I had a girlfriend at the time. And she was really holding on to some stuff against herself, and I was like, "Look, I think I know what to do. Come with me." So we drove down to Pescadero, uh, by the beautiful, like just open land cliff, looking with the oceans by the lighthouse. It's an incredible beach. it's, oh,
1: it's very wild. Oh, one of my favorite beach. places of planet. Yeah. You can
0: watch whales go by. It's in, it's amazing, right? Rugged northern California, and we got there, and I, I gave her a piece of paper and a pen. I said, "Look." Write down everything you're holding against yourself. Start with, I forgive myself for, then I forgive myself for. Just keep on doing keep on doing it until you're spent." And she said, okay. She said, but then you have to do this too. I was like, shit. All right. Okay. I wasn't planning on it. Mm-hmm. And because what it was for was that, she's like, you haven't forgiven yourself for not going to medical school. You beat yourself up for it. You need to do this for that. I was like, okay. So I sat there and I wrote all the ways I forgave myself for not going to medical school, and then we both read ours out loud, away from each other, so it's a private—you could say anything—out loud until you just really feel the weight of what you've been carrying. You have to feel the weight. There's a weight, right? It's a yeah. physical thing, and you read out loud enough time, you 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 feel the weight. And you're like, I'm done carrying this. I want to let it go, and then just balled out the paper, walked out to the ocean, say okay, and then just as far as we could, mm-hmm. and you know what? It worked. I literally ever since that that whole thing about not going to medical school disappeared, and her thing disappeared. And I've done this other times in my life for other things, or just like generally. Hey, I forgive myself for every screw up over the last three months. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah. yeah, being human at all. And um, you know, like when when I fell apart with the with the breakup, I had, I did this exercise to forgive myself for knowing better, <laughs> mm-hmm. you know, for, for falling apart and for, um, you know, not being better. Uh, and it works. It's really, it's a simple things. And part, I think part of the reason why it works, and I say like, look, you don't have to buy by an ocean. You can mm-hmm. sit on fire, you can throw it on the toilet. It doesn't matter, it's the intention because you realize the weight of what you're carrying. You say, carry I let this go. Right. I choose to let this go. And it's that act of deciding that something inside shifts.
1: It's very similar to step four and step five and 12-step. Do oh, you yeah? know that? No. Oh my God. It's, yeah. I mean, basically step four involves doing this inventory of your life and your behavior, sexual inventory, a resentment inventory. It's a very robust document that you work on over time to kind of purge your, to get clarity on where your character defects come up and how you participate in these crises that you form stories around. Um, and And ultimately to... Uh, to then give it over, to to let it go, to surrender, and you know, in in the case of of twelve step, it's like letting the higher power take it take it for you and letting it go. And there is there it is a it is a um, it is a transformative experience. Like I, the first time that I did it, I was in rehab in Oregon, and I went, I finished my inventory, and I drove to the the beach another rugged you know pacific oh, yeah. northwest no beach kidding. sat on the <laughs> sat on the beach by myself and did a private ceremony and i and i and then i and then i burned it you know it was a, similar to you know the kind of experience and 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 it was incredible how different i felt mm-hmm. after that but here's the thing we already kind of um touched on it a minute ago but that doesn't mean you're done. No,
0: you. you there's no. Stasis, <laughs> you got go to go back.
1: You got to go back, and it's like, okay, you went through that. All right, time to start again. But then it's like you know? not just forgiving yourself. It's like who you're going to be now,
0: right? That's where that what I realized for the next step is you make a commitment to yourself. To, you know, for me, it was loving myself, and that's right. what this whole book is about. You then you make that commitment, and then how do you keep that commitment day by day by day? So it becomes a way of being, uh-huh. and the effects just happen in your life.
1: My favorite of all of these tools is, is this other recursive phrase, which is, if I love myself, what would I do? Or some version of that, yeah, right? Yeah, like yeah. if I love my, what would be the right action here if I actually loved myself?
0: Yeah, it's a question I came up with um, when I realized I was making poor choices. And, and, and you know, like if you, most of the time in our, in our I realize in our head, we're basically answering questions. That's what we're doing with asking and answering questions. And so it was like, why don't I just create a question that I ask myself whenever I'm making have to make choices just to make it a habit? And and the be- the best part was the if, if I love myself. Because then it doesn't right. have to be I have to be loving myself yeah. in the moment. If I love myself or what I do, because then you know the answer. Mm-hmm. Then it becomes a conscious decision. I can still choose to make the the choice I, you know, I shouldn't make, right? The the choice I the poor choice, whatever you want to call that. But at least I'm doing it consciously. You start living more consciously that way. And sooner or later, you get tired of, you know, making the poor choice consciously and start making the better choice.
1: I was practicing it yesterday. Oh yeah? Um, It's incredibly practical Mm -hmm. and it really makes you confront yourself. Like I was just, I was in the grocery store and I'm walking down the aisles and I'm like, what am I gonna eat? And it's like, I I wanna get this thing. And then I'm like, I love myself, is that the choice that I would make? Like, <laughs> if I love myself, what would I actually choose? And of course, you're gonna, you're gonna say, well, I would choose the healthy thing, the thing that's gonna make mm-hmm. my body healthier and stronger, right? And if you have that in your conscious awareness as you're navigating these seemingly like small little decisions that you have to make throughout the day, there is a, there is a like strong ripple effect. It's very practical. This
0: one yeah. actually can change the trage- trajectory of your life. Uh-huh. This one alone. Right. Know, but all of these require practice. That we uh-huh. do them, right?
1: Yeah. Um, so you'll never graduate?
0: No, apparently not. <laughs> you know, and I'm always yeah. trying to figure out what's the next level? What's the uh-huh. next level? Like, um, but man, this is a
1: good foundation. How does this uh, dovetail with with gratitude? Like you hear about, practicing gratitude, which is kind of an ephemeral concept. Like how do you practice gratitude? How do you, what are actions that you can take to infuse your emotional experience with more gratitude?
0: You know, what I found is sometimes I play around rather than love, I'll use other concepts, but the same exact practice. And I feel light, I, you know, I feel just like all the magic of life coming down on me. And then when I breathe out, what do you feel naturally when you feel that? Gratitude comes out. Mm. Or when you feel real love, what comes out naturally? Gratitude. I found that gratitude actually comes up naturally when you're doing this as a side effect, where I don't even have to work on it if I work on this.
1: Yeah, I can see that. I'm wondering what it would be like if you walked around saying, if I was grateful, what would
0: I do? <laughs> <laughs> it's like a cor- I'd be a happier. Corollary.
1: Yeah, you know, we,
0: rule to that. It's, it's, that's know. a great question, actually. You know what? Your mental state would be better. I'm sure it would be. Like this these little simple questions that are, you know, we can ask, we should, if I was grateful, if I was, if I loved myself, you know, but we stick with the basic, basic foundation things. Mm-hmm. What's, what's love, gratitude, there's fear. There's a few things that are just, we just wired for and that's it.
1: Yeah. Well, we've been talking for a while and, and I feel like there's an elephant in the room because you are here, uh, it's kind of a miracle that you're that you're even here, like you know there, but for the grace of God, go I, you just experienced um, a very near death experience um, that uh, I think until very recently you weren't even allowed to travel, so I want to hear that story, and more importantly, I want to hear how that experience has kind of colored how you think about. These practices and what you wrote in the book, and and how it shaped you know how you how you think about your life going forward. Yeah, that is a hell of an elephant. Yeah. You know? um, well, I was going to open the podcast and talk about that, but then we just started talking. Yeah, you know. which
0: was great. I didn't realize I we we're rolling after yeah. a while. I'm like,
1: I think we're rolling. Yeah, we started. <laughs> That's how we do it here.
0: I like it. It's actually uh, very comforting. You know, mm-hmm. there's no and we're on right. It's in October. I, I went in for a for a, for a surgery for an old injury I had. Being being fit and active, I'd injured an artery, and um, and so they went in and they they fixed it, and uh, and the next morning I was going to be discharged. Uh, the uh, but the the sti- the artery burst. Basically, the stitches hadn't taken, and immediately, like boom! All of a sudden, I had a soccer ball. Grow in my lower abdomen really fast, and that was blood. You know, an artery uh, bursting. Internal bleeding. Yeah, and, but an artery bursting is a one way street. You know, you, it's a pressurized system. Mm-hmm. The horse, hose, I literally, one of the hoses breaks. That's it. There's no, you know, like in a submarine where they shut the doors kind of thing. And bur- it, it grew so big, so fast, so much pressure that it burst, and it was spraying blood out. Spraying blood out where? Out of my lower abdomen. So it broke through the skin. Broke through the fascia and everything. Like, imagine. I mean, it's pretty painful. I'll tell you that. Um, But it got the their attention in the hospital. Yeah, (laughs) because I've been complaining about pain and they weren't giving me any attention. And the nurse just thought I was trying to get more narcotics. And then when I started spraying blood, I also noticed they're calling doctors. And um,
1: yeah, like this guy just wants more drugs.
0: (laughs) And so they immediately had to um wheel me into emergency surgery. It was like right away, like boom, they were there was a surgery there was someone going into a surgery they pulled that person out, pulled me in that o r um because this was literally life or death. I was bleeding out, I bled, lost so much blood. I remember one guy just trying to like hold his hands over, but trying to hold, just stop the spray, you know and and I remember being in the the o r still being kind of wide awake, wide awake because I was in shock and adrenaline. And all i there was nothing, you know, no like long drawn out floating towards a light thing. It was just, it was flashes of images of love. It was basically images of love and fear, you know, images of just like regret, love, fear, like, um, and, and, uh, and fear in a way I've never felt fear because it was so primal. Your, your body, your mind doesn't know what to do if you lose blood like that. And you're, you're watching your own blood spray out of your body. It, we're not designed for that. That's right. not a normal occurrence. Usually that results in death. Right. And and spraying out of your abdomen, you know, like it's not like out of your arm or something like that. And um, and I remember the anesthesiologist and she was leaning over and, you know, she, everyone had just been rushed in. This was an emergency. They're all running in. There's like mayhem. They're moving things around. And, and, um, I remember these glasses she wore. They were pretty cool, funky glasses. And she's like, okay, I'm going to, you know, put something in you." I just like pushed it aside and grabbed her hand and just brought it close. I don't know what it was, but it's like I had to tell somebody. And I was looked at her in the eyes, just kind of like brought it in close. I'm like, I'm scared. And, and, and then what she did was she put her hand in my hand and something in me calmed. And as something we me, Fred, the two thoughts went through my head. I wasn't thinking much. One thought was, what a shitty, messy way to go. Because here I'm watching blood spray out, people running out in an OR. This would be my last, realizing this is my last experience of life. This is my last images I'm seeing. This is not what I would have wanted, right? That's one. And second, realizing I have no fucking choice. And something got very clear. All of a sudden, you know, like the images and everything just go away and it just becomes very clear. Like I have no choice. And there was a sadness, that, but then it was also like, okay. And I remember she hadn't put the IV in yet. She hadn't put the stuff in the IV. So this mm-hmm. wasn't the drugs had kicked in because I used to work in a hospital. So there's a part of me that still keeps an eye on that. Um I'd actually talk to them about it afterwards too. And just feeling like, okay, this is, if this is it, this is it. And I remember like leaning back and and um cause I think I'd be sitting, trying to sit up a little bit just from the um adrenaline. Leaning back, I was feeling like this image of I'm falling backwards into the darkness, like like you you know you see like someone falling in an ocean, dark ocean, just Mm -hmm. falling, falling. That's what I felt like. I was just falling, falling, falling. I let go, and that was it. That was my memory, and I didn't know you were in. That's it. Were you conscious the whole time? Well, and then. In that, then I could feel them put something in and then slowly like I was starting because they had to slash me open. Yeah, so they, had they had to open
1: you up, suture that, find the artery suture. Well, it. then,
0: but one other thing was I, I, the surgeon when she came, she was, she had come into and I grabbed her hand. I was like, look, don't make me have gone through this for nothing, <laughs> fix, <laughs> fix the thing yeah. I came here
1: for. <laughs> She's like, okay. <laughs> how, compl- how complicated was the original surgery? I mean, did they pitch it to you? Like, this is like kind of a thing. You'll be laid up for a while mm. or like, oh, you'll be in and out, this is no big deal. Well, it was complicated, but it was a very st-
0: standard microsurgery procedure. Uh-huh. This was not expected. And you
1: were you was it like the same day in and out or had you spent the no, night? No, I
0: would have spent a day or two in a the day. hospital. But
1: you were getting ready to be discharged yeah. when this happened. So yeah. conceivably, you could have been in the Uber on the way home or That's, sitting in your apartment when this happened.
0: Yeah, if that was the case, that would have
1: been it. You would have yeah, you would have you wouldn't have made it. Yeah. It was
0: literally like when I was, they were like processed getting me ready to like say, okay, I'm getting ready for discharge.
1: Mm. How much blood do you lose?
0: I don't remember a lot, but I remember the resident saying uh, one of the re- the resident." I was in the hospital for a while after that. And the residents and the staff that became my friends used to come hang out and talk with me in their off time and we'd eat together. Um, and they said like, man, you were like gone. You'd like, like, you'd lost as much as we could let you. And um it was just like a freaking soccer ball, just built up so fast. Wow, it's insane,
1: and that was all blood. And in that, like release, there's an acceptance, and I guess an even deeper surrender, like a sense of absolute powerlessness. Yeah, and is, is f- there is there a peace in that?
0: I guess in the moment there was, because you have to. Because struggle doesn't do anything, right? And you realize that is the when you have no choice, right?
1: But no white light. No, no if, uh, I, if
0: the white light, it was felt like my body was was in, was light, but everything else was darkness, and it was just falling backwards. That's mm-hmm. like the kind of image I remember. Mm-hmm. But that's almost like a third party image. So keep in mind, I was also in shock at the
1: time. Right, <laughs> you know? right, and. And I know you're somebody who's done like a lot of plant medicine and, you know, packed mm-hmm. into that. There are, you know, these these, experience, these sort of near death experiences that you have or rebirthing and the thing and, you know, things of that nature. Did it bear resemblance none. to those experiences? None. Or, none? Dude, I've done it all. <laughs> and let yeah. me tell you, none. Okay. <laughs> <I'm> actually <laughs> makes me feel better. I'm, I, I'm actually glad to hear that. I
0: am yeah. being 100% honest. I'm very experienced in plant medicine. Uh-huh. Okay. I'm I'm a very curious person. I've gone tried. I've done some crazy stuff
1: there. I've, I've I've experienced what I thought you could experience, not the same. Not the same. Not the same. So does that color how you think about the value of those experiences? No, because I think they still give you a taste. They still make you better. They still uh-huh. um, make you face
0: yourself. You know, uh, I think they're they're wonderful teachers.
1: Mm-hmm. I highly recommend them. So this experience, you end up in the hospital for quite a while after that. Um, H- has it altered, um, you know, kind of the things that you say in the book? Like, how has this shaped how you think about life going forward?
0: Well, honestly, I have to return to the practice again to keep myself from just, you know, i spent months writhing in pain. You know, I was in an insane amount of pain. You know, I had two back-to-back surgeries, one a very aggressive, ma- uh, one major yeah. surgery, and then 12 hours, 12 hours later, one very aggressive emergency surgery. Right. You know, like... <laughs> yeah. Oh my god. The, one of the
1: surgeons told me if anyone qualifies for these narcotics it's you. What caused this? Was there any kind of is there an argument for malpractice here? Was it just was it human error? You know, error or, you know you what know?
0: I've thought about it. I'm not a I'm not a litigious guy. Everyone does their best, but there were some things that happened and it's just been the the level of pain I've had to deal with for so many months. You know, I was talking with your wife about this earlier. I have such empathy now for people who live with chronic pain. Pain grinds you down. Physical pain, like extreme physical pain, just grind. And so like, I've had to do this work hard just to keep afloat Mm. when I'm in physical pain, you know? It's like some, like to be able to just like get up and walk across a room and not be sweating, you know, like what that takes you. Like, so I've actually had to go deeper in this but almost in a survival way. Like mm-hmm. I am right now an animal in survival mode and all loving myself is literally just surviving. Yeah. You're pain-free now though. I'm better. Uh-huh. There are times where I still deal with it, uh, but it's very manageable. I'm getting better. The body's amazing, right? And I literally feel like I've been rebuilding my body. Um, you know, I'm used to being very fit and healthy. Thankfully the surge they went, the second procedure they did, now they went in, they went into and took a vein out of my leg, like a big thick pipe yeah. and put that in as a, as a
1: big conduit. Uh-huh.
0: So, so at least if, cause I was like, don't make me go to the experience, right. if I come not, out of this. At
1: like, least we know that artery is strong now. Yeah, it's, it's better than you know, like, that would have even made it worse. Right, <laughs> yeah, can- yeah, yeah. And, and what's interesting is, is, is trying to divine the lesson in all of this, right? Like we that, were joking yeah. before the podcast and you're like, I thought that I'd had, I'd been tested. You know, I'd, I'd kind of been brought to my knees a couple of times in my life. And I felt like I'd learned the lessons and am moving in a good direction. Did I really need, you know, did I really need this to happen? Haven't I already had my wake up moment? Like why this, yeah. why now?
0: I'll be honest, man, this, this brought me to my knees in a way I've never have. Um, I struggle at times. It's like, I almost left. Why am I here? I don't, I'm str- especially when you're in pain, your mind goes there, right? Uh, I, I'm still struggling with it. And I'm so grateful that. So I turned in the final, final master of this book, I think the week before I went into surgery, <laughs> right. right? And, and now <laughs> this book comes out, and this uh-huh. is a book I so care about. Um, you know, all, I have such an obligation to the readers, you know, who emails me and who gave me the questions that, to put this out to the world, that that's the thing I get up for. Like, that's why I got on a plane and came to LA to see you is to share this book. You know, it's, I, it's like I gave myself this gift before going to that experience. I don't know if I had, didn't have this book what I would have done, mm-hmm. honestly. It's like i it's it's something that's bigger than me that's more important than me that'll make me get on that plane and if I'm feeling pain, I will get on a plane and come and share the book mm-hmm. that that's been a great gift. I don't know where I'd be if I didn't have it mm-hmm. and secondly, because I have the book, I read it <laughs> right and and it's yeah. like sometimes you know I wrote this for myself and and so. So there are moments in life where it's a practice like this could literally just make you survive, and sometimes that's all you can do. You know, you're just in. Sur- it's it's very interesting. That's something I just realized the other day because I've been beating myself up for for being like closed off from everybody and just being curled up in pain. And just, I was like, dude, you're, you're survival mode.
1: Yeah, it's okay. Nobody's expecting you. <laughs> to be, you know, going on the talk show circuit. You just got out of the hospital. Um,
0: like, I mean, yeah. I got to the hospital in October, but. You know, I couldn't wait to get out. It was like the first one they said, you might be out. I was like, take these damn
1: mm-hmm. things.
0: Mm-hmm. worst place to be if you're not feeling well is a hospital, really. It is the worst place on the planet. Um, all your dignity has gone. You've been poked and prodded 24 seven, you know, and just, and that's where a lot of the germs are anyway. Yeah. Right, right, <laughs> right, right,
1: right. But it's interesting that after all of this, you're still beating yourself up, measuring yourself against some, standard that that nobody else is applying to you
0: well i have to do the self-forgiveness practice again don't i Mm
1: -hmm. yeah (laughs) yeah don't we all
0: yeah that's that's an interesting thing i'm realizing that i need to do some of this stuff that more that practice more often than i thought Mm -hmm. um you know i'm learning this stuff myself you know i'm still evolving it myself and it's it's very interesting i've had to go back to it but in a very different way and uh now that I'm getting better, I'm very curious to see the, what the effects of still doing it will be.
1: Yeah, and I think there is there is a deeper lesson in what you just experienced. I think you just need time and distance from it before that becomes evident or clear. But yeah. I think I think more will be revealed. I, I think that that something will come out of that that will that you will then realize is an opportunity. I hope so. You know. I, I was I would believe if you go through something,
0: there's a there's something good that a gift that comes out of it, but it's up to us to find that gift right
1: right I mean one of the things you talk about is this idea of of inverting the idea that things are happening to you and looking at it from the perspective of you happening to things, or maybe even another corollary to that is things are happening for, for you. you, yeah, you know? yeah that one's been hard with this experience, yeah, you,
0: know, but I think um. Maybe it might be who I become because of it, you know, who I choose to
1: be as I rebuild myself, who I become. We'll mm, see. Yeah. Well, I I can't imagine that you you came out of the, and you must have come out of this thinking life is even more precious than I real re, you know previously appreciated. And that time <laughs> is short and we don't know how long we're gonna be here. And, you know, if you have a message that you feel strongly about, like now is the time to, you know, give your all to what is most important to you?
0: Yeah, I mean, I'm lucky I have it, you know, with with putting this book out. Um, It's interesting, the thing about precious, some of those, um, it's weird uh, because time still goes by, slips by. And I find, you know, we fall back into our way of living, which is Mm -hmm. just like, you know, often wasting time. Um, The mind is very interesting how it quickly forgets lessons. one has to be constantly reminded. What I like to do is I like to remind myself of feeling um, just feeling life, feeling blessed by life sometimes, because I have to look at that being surviving, no matter what I went through as a blessing, there has to be a blessing in there.
1: And what does that look like? Like what is the actual practice of I that? do the
0: same thing as I do with the 10 breaths, except yeah. now the light becomes blessings.
1: Uh huh. I like that. I like that it's so simple and practical. You know, it's not, it's, there's not a lot of, you know, in the book, there's no window dressing around anything woo woo. It's like, this is what I did. It feels so much better. Like, and here's how you do it. It'll take you five minutes. <laughs> you know? I get a lot
0: of emails from people uh, who say, like, what made them use the book or what made them share it was the fact they could tell it was just a guy, just uh-huh, a dude who wrote dude it. Dude who did it. Yeah. yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I listened to, um, the podcast that you did with Jonathan Fields, and he he put you he put the question to you like, given that you had had an interest in in um, in fiction writing, like why not make this a parable, this book rather than making it a practical primer, tell doing some storytelling in a in a in a in a fiction setting.
0: I don't remember what I said to him, but what comes to mind now is because for something like this, you just need the simple truth straight to the fact this works, this is how it works. Yeah. This is what to do.
1: I think what you also said to him was that, that um, it's the honesty, like the personal honesty and accountability was what in your in your belief was, was what made it connect with people.
0: Yeah, it's amazing. People are, readers are wonderful. You know, just how they reach out. They give you more than you
1: give, you know, I feel yeah. like you give. So are you still like a Silicon Valley? You live in San Francisco, right? But are you still no, like a VC in New- and all that? Or are you just full on?
0: No, I'm in New writer? York these days. Oh, you are, you're yeah. in New York.
1: Okay. Yeah, it was a long flight
0: to come oh, see you. I thought you came from San Francisco. Wow, I didn't realize, man. wow. Yeah, my flight was delayed multiple hours it was a full yeah. cross country. Yeah, totally worth yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, thank you. Um, no, I run a VC firm uh, that I built on my own after I had lost everything and I I rebuilt myself and, so I invest in, in tech startups mm-hmm. and the uh, writings, what I realize is what I'm putting this planet for. And that's, that's the thing that I'm gonna leave behind, right. you know, these books. Um, but yeah, I enjoy, I love working with it. Like I advise some companies, I invest in companies. It keeps that part of my brain active, right. you know, and, and I actually enjoy it. You, you know, you get to work with people building the future.
1: You know, it's, it's fun. Yeah. All right, well, you gotta write about what just happened to you. Think so? Yeah, but I don't have a. There's no lesson there. Well, uh, maybe it's not. It's not yet time to write about it. But at some point, I, I think there will be a lot that comes out of that. And like I said earlier, I think I think it will be revealed to you. But at some point, you're gonna. I think it's gonna be important that you write about that. Okay. Thank you. What yeah. else are you? What else are you working on?
0: That's the thing. That's one thing I'm struggling. I've nothing. I've tried writing, and there's nothing that's coming out that's inspiring me. Right you know you're in your gestation period so i'm reading a lot hmm. i've actually been reading a lot of physics and and quantum physics and just diving going a rabbit hole in nature wow. of reality that's just, interesting yeah just like okay look look at stephen hawking's paper and this and that like what is you know the smart guys the really smart guys uh-huh. their interpretation of the nature of reality i've been really uh, fascinated by that so i'm just
1: kind of like right now feeding my curiosity about these things uh uh-huh. is there um like a, an approach that you take t- towards trying to decide what to read or is it just your muse?
0: It's my muse, it's the internets, you know, yeah. there's rabbit holes. Um, Reddit is amazing, you can find an expert in everything or someone who thinks they're an expert in everything. Uh-huh. And it's, you know, I've also been working on, okay, what is my, what is a practical philosophy of life I wanna live by after all that I've g- give, been through? What is something that, that I can actually live. And this is the philosophy I've been working on practically. And I'm not suggesting this for anyone. So I don't, please people don't send me any emails about, you know, the flaws in it. It's literally something I'm trying to do, which is I am the cause of everything in my life. Because when I do that, it's all personal responsibility. There's no victim. There's no no feeling sorry for myself. There's only choice. Everything that has happened in my life. Because look, the nature of reality, if you were to really bring it down, is that there is no reality. We don't know what the whole show is, but there there's this whole three d dimensional you know thing. There's more to this yeah. game than that. We, I'm with, uh, you. I'm with right? you on that. We know that. Yeah. So then, okay, if that's the case. You talk to my wife. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. she's awesome. She's... I love your wife. By the way, please people yeah. order her cheese. It's yeah. off, out of this world. I mean, you know, she's uh,
1: she's functioning on in, in multiple realities simultaneously, I think, but go
0: ahead. Yeah, so I've been thinking like, look, what? but how do I, my whole thing is how do I practically live something? I don't wanna just theory. I wanna be better because of it. Mm-hmm. So I'm like, look, if there's this underlying layer and somehow we. It's just I'm I'm a part of him i connected. It's like consciousness. Let's say it's all consciousness, and that's the ocean. I'm just a wave in the ocean. That blip comes and goes. That almost the wave almost went, but still in the ocean, right? What is the way I can live that somehow almost frees me, but also gives me forward momentum? Because if it's all this choice, then it's in your control. So I am the cause of everything. I've been actually looking. I'm the cause of that experience with the surgery. I'm the cause of good things happening to me. I'm the cause of bad things happening to me. I'm the cause of it all. So what do I do? So that's a personal philosophy I've been kind of working on myself and just trying Mm -hmm. to mentally do it, where everything I go through, I am the cause of this. Not that, I, I made you appear out of thin air in our ritual, but more like my experience of life. Right,
1: no, I get that. I mean, I think it's a, it's a spiritual bent on a, on a very Goggins-esque idea, you know. Oh yeah? Just sort of uh, unbridled absolute responsibility for everything in your life and you know, never, never blaming anyone. And I think when you're, when you're of that mindset and you approach and navigate life in that way, it's impossible to be a victim, right? Because if you're taking responsibility for everything that happens to you, good or bad, or taking responsibility and ownership for, you know, every conflict that you find yourself in, then you become an actor rather than a reactor. You become the hero rather than the victim. And you're presented with opportunity rather than um, dead ends, I think. Correct. You know? And I'll tell you, it's not easy to live this
0: in your head. Because the mind rebels. The mind wants to find cause outside yourself. Sure. It's, that's what the whole who train... does who does want to point the <laughs> finger, right? You know. So it's almost like a little mental training I'm doing for myself. So that's kind of like a new thing I'm working on. I'm just Kamal's Welcome to Kamal's world.
1: Right. Well, I no, I think that I think that that's, I mean, that's a, it's a harder thing I think to practice than repeating "I love myself" or doing the mirror work. You know, because it's it gets harder and. And I found, and this is, you know, for me, it it always goes back to 12 steps is another thing I learned that like, even when I find myself in a conflict with somebody else where it's clear that I've been wronged and everybody that I talk to about this thing will all agree with me that I am the victim. This person wronged me. There's no gray area here. Always, always, if I'm honest with myself, I can find my part in 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 how that situation or that dynamic was created. And I think taking ownership of that allows you to transcend that victim mentality and also provides the opportunity for self-forgiveness and forgiveness of the other person so that you can release, surrender and free yourself from whatever pain or emotional weight that that, that, that that forces you to carry around.
0: Yeah, I think it can be very powerful, Yeah,
1: um, but it's hard. Yeah,
0: I know. Yeah. How are you doing with it? Depends on the moment in the day. You uh-huh. know? But I'll tell you, but like even doing the love yourself practice, I do it because if I'm the cause, I have to work in my inside. Uh huh. If who I am is the cause of my experience of life, that then I have a responsibility to work in my inside. Because if I don't, then I'll be the cause of shitty things.
1: Yeah. <laughs> Another thing I wanted to talk to you about is is honoring the child within, mm. right? As somebody who, I mean, you you've endured a, you know, a fair amount of childhood trauma. It's easy to fall into victimhood over that as well, right? Yeah. Um and it's and it's the kind of the more you evolve and grow, the more you realize that you loop patterns and tell stories that were formed from that childhood experience that then show up in 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 behavior patterns in in adult life that don't serve you and yet you feel powerless to kind of snap out of them. Yeah. That is, yes, all our facts. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, but you kind of have a practice around how you how you kind of talk to the inner child or or honor that young person inside of you.
0: Yeah. And it all comes from this this practice. So what I do is I take the foundation, this practice of foundation and approach different parts of me and my life. Through this lens, and you know, the first time I did it, uh, I remember something shifted because I realized something about the child. You know, I was used to be ashamed of what the child went through. You know, it was, it was I was ashamed or dirty at this or that. I was wounded. I was tainted. Like these things, I overcame them, right? But I was ashamed of what the child of the of the experience of the child. Mm. And when I did sex of the first time, it's interesting when you do these, your, per, your perspective shifts, you know? And, and like if your perspective shifts, everything shifts. And if I was no dumbass, excuse my language, no dumbass. This child survived to, so you could be you. This child went through this. I mean, think of the strength it takes to be a child you know, and go through things and continue on and not mm. quit and keep on working to like, one day I'll get out of this. One day I'll be better. One day I'll get out of this. One day no one will screw with me. blah, blah, whatever, right? But that child deserves medals, mm. you know, not like keep the child right. hidden. And it was like, oh my God, it was a huge perspective shift. And it was a game changer where like, you, you're you grateful for the child for having the strength you you don't think of a child as having strength you realize the strength it takes to be a child and endure abuse that's insane yeah. right and so like now i just feel so much gratitude and gratitude to this child like thank you for for your strength you know i'd never realized that before until i did this right
1: i like that i mean that's that's a very cool practice and way to think about that wounding You know what I mean? When you think about the experience of a child, even a child that grows up in a healthy environment, a young child in the period of 24 hours will throw a couple tantrums, cry a bunch of times, be frustrated, feel uh, angry because they can't communicate their idea or whatever idea they're trying to communicate isn't landing right. Like the emotional turmoil of a childhood experience even under the best circumstances is incredibly challenging when you think about it like they go through more emotional turmoil in a day than I certainly do right so the strength the capacity of a young person to you know weather so much it seems obvious that we should honor that yeah you know
0: yeah it's kind of, it's very interesting. I mentioned this to other people and it's actually caused that shift to them too. I find that I'm not the only one who was that way about his childhood.
1: Uh-huh.
0: You know, when you come from a traumatic childhood, you kind of like want to put it under the rug. You're like, I got over it.
1: Right, that's you know, in that's, the past, I'm done with it. Yeah, that.
0: yeah I, I overcame it, I got over it, I'm fine, right, whatever. But honoring that child who made it happen, who had the strength, you know, that's special.
1: Mm-hmm. I think that's a good place to end it. <laughs> um, love yourself like your life depends on it. What uh, what is like? You know, just to kind of close this down for somebody who's listening to this, who feels stuck, or or perhaps finds themselves in a in a in a situation that they can't see their way out of. Um, give that person a starting point. Starting point.
0: Look, what did it for me was making a commitment to myself. You know, and first deciding that, look, I'm gonna keep commitments to myself, right? But if you make a vow to yourself, if you're ever in a place where you just need to get out of it make a vow to yourself, write it down, put it somewhere where you can see it every day, be reminded of your act, to your, your promise to yourself, and then do your best to live it. You'll fail horribly every day, but mm-hmm. you'll get better and better. Do your best to live it every day. It's really that simple, that power of that personal commitment to
1: yourself. Yeah. It's that simple and you don't have to, you know, lose your company and all your money or <laughs> kind of, you know get left of. by, you know, the, your one love in order for you to take advantage of that, right? I Look, think that's the important thing. Like, yeah. you know, a lot of people's elevators are going down. They don't realize that they can get off every, you know, at any moment. They have to experience that bottom and that wake-up call is required or necessary to get that person's attention, but the truth is these tools are powerful and transformative and available to you, you know, wherever and whenever you find yourself.
0: Yeah, it's the human mind. I know.
1: Well, thank you for um sharing. Oh man, this was now. so worship. It. It. Thank you. Um I love the book. Like I said, it's it's not only packed with these amazing transformational practices, but it's super easy to read and enjoy. Like you can, you can literally, you know, read the whole thing in a in an afternoon. Very easy to digest. So I appreciate that. And that doesn't come easily. That's because you put in those ten thousand hours, right? Yeah. Yeah. That's Um, craft. So thank you. Thank you for the book. I think it's a I think it's a gift and I think you're a gift to humanity. And I appreciate the work that you do, my friend. Thank you so much. So come back and talk to me anytime. Um, you can uh, find the book at your favorite independent bookseller mm-hmm. or on Amazon. Mm-hmm. You can find Kamal on Twitter at Kamal Ravikant, but he will not follow you back because he only follows one person, <laughs> The Rock.
0: Once you read <laughs> what the book is that I'll... about? Well, if you read the book, you'll understand.
1: Yeah. <laughs> um, where else can
0: people uh, find out what you're Twitter, Instagram, the usuals, yeah. you know, but just my email address is also in this book. Yeah. Email me. Right. But you know, email me if you do read you, the book. Do you respond to all the emails? I do. Sometimes it takes a while because I get backlogged, but uh-huh. I always do. Wow. People are really good. Sometimes you'll find someone who just has an ax to grind and you just happen to be the one they wanna do it. Polite, respond and end it. Yeah. Uh, but most people, I made friends with readers, like people I like, consider good friends who reach out to me, just start having conversations. You know, it's amazing.
1: Yeah, that's cool, man. Um, well, I'm gonna be in New York this spring. Can we uh, go grab dinner? God, I would love Get it. Get James and we'll all go out for a bite. I would love Some it. Some vegan food? Yes, sir. Okay, thanks, man. Um, all right, that's it. Thank you, Kamal. Appreciate you, peace. Dude, this is the best interview I've had. Oh, I'm so happy to hear this that. This is the
0: best interview I've yeah. had.
1: Like, I can't read, like- That's the title of the podcast now. Kamal Ravikant, <laughs> the best interview kid he's that. ever had. I kid
0: you not.
1: <laughs> amazing guy, amazing story. I told you guys, right? Pretty cool. To dig deeper into all things Kamal, check out the links and the resources on the episode page at richroll.com, And be sure to give Kamal some love on the socials. You can find him at Kamal Ravikant on Twitter and Instagram. His book, Love Yourself Like Your Life Depends On It, is available everywhere. Pick it up just might change your life or at least your perspective. That's it for today, you guys. Thank you for tuning in. If you'd like to support our work here on the show, subscribe to it on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and YouTube, where you can also leave a review or a comment, share the show or your favorite episodes with friends or on social media. And you can support us on Patreon at richroll.com forward slash donate. Thanks to everybody who helped put on today's program. Jason Camiello for audio engineering, production, show notes, and interstitial music. Blake Curtis and Margot Lubin for videoing the show, editing it, creating all the short clips that we share on social media. Jessica Miranda for graphics. Allie Rogers for portraits. Georgia Whaley for copywriting. DK for advertiser relationships and theme music, as always, by Tyler Pyatt, Trapper Pyatt, and Hari Mathis. Thanks for the love, you guys. I appreciate all of you. I hope you are safe. I hope that you are taking care of yourselves and your loved ones. And I'll see you back here in a couple days with another awesome dose of amazing. Until then, peace, plants, namaste.